Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rebel News Daily Roundup. Very happy to be joined by my co-host for today, mon ami, from La Francophonie, Alexa Lavoie. Alexa, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm pretty good, and you? Oh, wonderful. Good, good. Lots to get to today. Uh, before we get into that, though, I'm going to go through some of the nuts and bolts of the show, and then we'll start chatting about the stories of the day. First off, if you're joining us, you're probably watching on Rumble, Odyssey, Getter, or potentially even YouTube. That's great. Wherever you're joining us, we are so happy to have you. I would just consider asking you, as I do every week, Switching over to one of those uh, great, great providers that allows you to watch the show, show without censorship, without uh, fear or concern, uh, a neutral platform that doesn't have their politics weigh into the thing, and instead just gives us an opportunity to chat with you. Rumble is absolutely great for that. The other nice thing with Rumble is there's something called Rumble Chats. For a couple bucks, um, you can post a chat, and then we'll actually interact with it throughout the show on like the mainstream media like I say every week, who only really listens to their bosses and the government on whom they rely for payouts, while we instead count on our viewers to support us. So you're helping us keep the lights on, and we're getting to engage with you, have that feedback. We love it. You can also support us by joining us on Locals.com. You'll get access to all of our usual content, but in addition to that, you're also going to get some exclusive content not available anywhere else. So that's on Locals.com. Without further ado, we'll now get into some of the stories of the day, and we're going to start off with some energy stories, uh, particularly the uh, mounting uh, <clears throat> Royal Rumble between uh, Daniel Smith and Justin Trudeau. Uh, I'm sure you're probably even hearing about this uh, out in Quebec, out east. Um, but uh, yeah, it, this this provincial government really seems to be sticking to their guns, even some of the more sort of laid back collaborative politicians are starting to get a little bit uh, a little bit spicy we've got a clip about that in just one second but first off let's just show this tweet uh of daniel smith here saying the federal government's new regulations on electricity will increase your utility bills and basically every other good and service the proposed mandate is unconstitutional we will not let albertans suffer by implementing this policy now alexia i wanted to pick your brain on this because quebec has a great tradition of telling the federal government to go fly a kite um, what's it like seeing another province doing it now so firmly and repeatedly? Uh, I would say that it, for Quebec, it's completely the opposite. And I'm really sad because for a while, you know, Quebec was always like, oh, we are doing our own thing. We don't mm -hmm. care about what you are proposing to us. You know, we always wanted to do everything differently. But it seems right. that in Quebec right now, we are following everything that what he, they asked for us. So mm -hmm. and and it's mostly why Quebec have banned the extraction of our natural resources because they want to reduce the um the gas uh and and also like they, they want to reach net zero but in the mm. same time it that will <laughs> that would be so bad for us first of all for our wealthy like yeah. we are actually stopping for making money and also this will have been like pretty good for other country or other province to get our natural resources we know that we have like natural gas uh, in Quebec, and we have a lot of the, this, but they stop everybody who try to to extract it. And it would be the same for like so many other things. Now they are focusing on wind energy or electricity energy, but we'll get to it afterwards. But now they are talking about nuclear energy. 
Well, you know, and I find that I find that so fascinating. It's like almost like all the people who moved from Quebec to Alberta for energy jobs brought some of that spirit of freedom with them. And now now it's alive and well here. Yeah, for a long time, uh, we, we even th saw throughout COVID, Jason Kenny. it's a very similar situation. And we're going to play a clip here in a moment. But Jason Kenny effectively said, we're not doing any of these restrictions. And then the government said, oh, well, we're actually not going to allow you to access billions of dollars in uh, in sort of benefits and innovative uh, things if you don't agree to bringing in some version of this and then Jason Kenney folded. Now, the, the federal government seems to be doing something similar here where they're saying, if you're not willing to agree to 2035, listen, Daniel Smith has agreed to a 2050 deadline and says that that's practical and something we can do. I honestly think Alberta's, not that I care particularly, but I think Alberta's going to be net zero before anywhere else because I just think we do things better and we, we tend mm -hmm. to succeed them, even if they're things I don't really care about. But listen, like they're they're not playing ball at all. Uh, they, they, they came to the table and said, no, well, we don't think we can do this. We're going to do this. And they're like, okay, you don't get access to any of this. The other thing too is the, the billions of dollars in sort of energy investments that the government's made available if you agree to this 2035 stuff, that stuff matters and it can help, but it doesn't offset the, I think it's estimated $1.7 trillion that are in place um, that, that come from these other industries that would be attacked. So it's kind of like catch 22, you're losing either way. But th this government is not engaging in good faith negotiations. They probably know they're on their last leg and that's why they're going after people. But uh, a local uh, Calgary uh, MP, uh, she addresses very sort of competently and, and and thoroughly. So I think we can jump to that clip now, also shared by Danielle Smith. But this is of uh, the always friendly Rebecca Schultz, uh, maybe not being quite so friendly with the federal government. Earlier today, the federal government released the draft clean electricity regulations. We will be doing detailed analysis in the months ahead. However, one thing is clear. The draft regulations are unconstitutional, irresponsible, unrealistic, and would make life less affordable for Albertans and Canadians. They will not be implemented in our province, period. They can't. We are beginning our talks with the federal government, and if we can't get alignment, Alberta will chart its own path to ensure we have reliable and affordable electricity for the people we serve. This means making sure we have adequate natural gas base load and incentivizing CCUS abated natural gas generation, small modular reactors, hydrogen, and a sustainable amount of wind, solar, and other renewables to drive down electricity costs. We need to be realistic. The world is going to need a lot more electricity. Estimates indicate the power demand could double between now and 2050, and Canada's generation capacity will need to be up to three times larger than it is right now. Instead, we've seen the federal government put ideology before common sense, affordability, and reliability once again. What was released today is a bait and switch, pretending to allow natural gas to continue while creating conditions where plants are forced to power down. In the dead of winter or the middle of summer, Albertans need natural gas to keep our grid running, keep families from freezing, to turn the lights on, to run air conditioning and businesses operating. Can you imagine being a parent of young children, having to ration power and not being able to turn on your light switches in the middle of the night, in the middle of winter? We can achieve our environmental goals in a much more realistic way that doesn't jeopardize jobs, our economy, or put Albertans at risk. Yeah, it's Just it's wild. Right. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it, absolutely, and it's so like there's nothing there you can really disagree with, it, especially mm -hmm. you know we're we're living in a time where uh, 
the only thing a government should be talking about is making things more affordable. This government has made life virtually unaffordable and, and, and for everyone, like well-to-do people are struggling. Uh, and and by, by well-to-do, I mean people who are making an amount that say 10 years ago, you would have been very comfortably paying a mortgage and maybe, maybe going on a trip once a year abroad. That same amount of money in just eight years of Trudeau means you're barely, barely getting by. It's extremely troubling. And for this government now to not only be doing things that are going to make things more expensive, but also bringing things to the point the technology is not ready. We not only will not be able to afford energy, but those folks who can afford to, uh, energy because of technological limitations and these new restrictions and this ideological push for 2035, there may not be power to turn on even if you can pay for it. It is absolutely unsettling that this is the focus of this government. And I, I'm, I'm so happy that we at least here have a provincial government that is pushing back. But who knows? Like this, this federal government, they're so ideologically married to this. Um, I don't know if they're going to, I don't know how much they're going to let this slide. I am going to read through this one more post from Dim, uh, Premier Daniel Smith on the matter. Um, and we'll move on to some Quebec news as well. But uh, I think getting through this similar sentiment, but uh, they're putting this out on all accounts and making clear to this government that this is not going to fly. Uh, so Daniel Smith says the draft federal 2035 net zero power grid regulations are unconstitutional, irresponsible, and do not align with Alberta's emissions reduction and uh, energy development plan that works towards carbon neutral power grid by 2050. These regulations make desperately needed investments in the new natural gas generation almost impossible. If implemented in Alberta, these regulations would endanger the reliability of Alberta's power grid and cause massive increases in Alberta's power bills. Alberta's uh, government will protect Albertans from these unconstitutional federal net zero regulations. They will not be imp implemented in our province, period. Good to hear that again. One of the only positives at this point is that these are draft regulations. Alberta is about to commence working group with the federal government to discuss how to bring Ottawa's efforts uh, to decarbonize the economy in line with Alberta's emissions reductions and energy development plans. I love that. Just the confidence to say, well, we'll bring them in line with some more realistic standards. It's great. Uh, if this alignment is not achieved, Alberta will chart its own path to ensuring we have additional reliable and affordable electricity brought onto our power grid that is available 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. This will be accomplished by ensuring an appropriate amount of high efficiency natural gas base load is added to the grid while incentivizing carbon capture, utilizing and uh, storage, uh, CUS abated natural gas generation, small modular reactors, hydrogen generation, and sustainable amount of wind, solar, and other renewables to drive down electricity costs. Albertans and our government care deeply about responsible environmental stewardship. We are confident in Alberta's plan to get us to a reliable and affordable carbon neutral power grid by 2050. This is the direction Alberta is going. We invite the federal government to support us rather than hinder us in doing so. I love that. The, just the confidence of we're going to set the grid straight. And you know, you know, the thing that drives me wild is, is and I don't know what your reaction is on this, Alexa, but um, the recent very sensible moves to pause solar and wind projects until there's a plan in place for folks who don't understand this government doesn't want to do this um, and they're not they understand that some jobs might be affected by this but there's a whole bunch of controversies among the very progressives who are who are upset about this pause they they don't want the federal government involved in the costs to clean up 
um, and, and sort of restore the areas affected by, affected far less, I'd say, but affected by drilling and oil and things like that. So the government says, well, hold on a second, we don't have a plan to restore the, the places that we're tearing up right now and covering with solar farms or the wind turbine. So we need to have a plan for this. Furthermore, the electricity coming from those things, they can be produced in mass volumes. But then if, if it's if it's not windy and it's not sunny, they can barely contribute anything. It's It's very much in flux. So you don't have a reliable energy source, particularly in, in, in troubling seasons. If it's if it's winter and there's no wind and it's very cloudy, you're not getting power from that. And there are four provinces within this country that still get 30 to 85 percent of the power from coal. So if you stop all of that and then you're switching to something that can be going at 100 percent efficiency or 1 percent efficiency, that's when you get browning roll or rolling brownouts. That's when you can't plug in your Tesla to charge it like in California. It's absolutely destructive and it simply doesn't work in Alberta. What, what's sort of been your reaction when, when you first heard, oh, they're stopping a bunch of uh, projects and pausing a bunch of product projects. Uh, what was your reaction, Alexa? Well, first of all, why posing something now when we know that we will face a lack of energy soon? So you don't pause, you just like reflect on, okay, what can be add to it to produce more energy? Like, I don't see the point behind pausing anything mm. for now, um, yeah. especially uh, you say it like when energy or solar energy is not reliable and especially like when we look at our summer just that we had this year was just like raining 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 a lot of cloud and there were like no possibility to get like that much energy from the solar um i want to 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 get back on the one one fact yeah. oh, in in the story, we always had like some goal to achieve and it always changed like the date of the the goal date. So sometimes mm -hmm. it was like, uh, I don't remember like the other one, but it's why we had the um, the COP. The, uh, we had like recently the COP15, who is the, the conference of the party to the UN Convention on Biological Diversity, but they also talk about climate change. And we have also like climate change summit, but it's just recently when we had the sustainable goal that appeared in 2015, that we see that there is a really big push for the government to really make the change, but drastically. And we know that in 2035, it's not a realistic uh, goal point because this is too soon this is too close from us and we know that when we do things drastically um, most of the time there is like big consequences as I say like uh, economic consequences but also like do we want to face a winter without without power or power outage we don't want that especially here in quebec and probably in Alberta. i know that you have like you cold winter also so think is why we are not like trying to just make the extraction more clean and just mm -hmm. continue with what we are doing right now that it seems to work and why we don't extract what we have as a resources it's free it's under the ground we extract it extract it in the clean manners and after that we provide not only Canada and make wealthy Canada and just export it to other countries who are in need that's right. it 
Well, and it's actually the ethical thing to do is to export clean. And I mean, there, there's there's multiple considerations here. Energy can be cleaner, but you also have to consider sort of the, the human rights angle. And we have the most ethical oil, both and, and energy environmentally, but mm -hmm. we also have it as far as human rights. So both of those factors need to be considered. And the thing here with this pause from the government, it's so that they can do it more ethically because there's tons of scrutiny on oil industries. But what we have right now is there's sort of a boom. There's lots of grants and they're just rushing forward with solar projects but you're going to have solar power and wind power going to a grid that can't store it and then effectively it's going to waste and then there's no plan for reclamation of the land once the project is done so i think i think the minor pause i i'm okay with it i, I don't think we should be pausing the known valid sort of proven technologies that mm -hmm. work like oil gas um hydro in quebec whatever it may be but but pausing something unknown that's relatively new and doesn't provide consistent power, I don't have a problem with it because uh, it, it's funny. They're actually doing the reasonable environmental thing. Environmentalists should be happy saying, oh, we're pausing this for a moment to say – Oh, well, what's our plan to reclaim the soil? Well, the, the progressives who are angry about this, the environmentalists who are angry about this, they're really showing their card cards. They're they're effectively saying, well, we don't actually care about environmental sustainability. We have a bunch of friends in the eco-energy sectors. That's what their outrage says to me. They're mad that these projects are being paused and their friends who own these companies aren't making their wealth and they have to hold off for a couple months. So, uh, But speaking of, of another relatively, despite, despite uh, people often think with the uh, nuclear reactors, um, that that it's extremely unsafe. Well, other than a couple instances and on very old reactors, uh, nuclear tends to be very, very effective, very safe, uh, particularly in a place like Canada, where there are massive swaths of land that are that are effectively empty and isolated. You could have a bunch of reactors tucked away safely. Um, but uh, I'll ask you to comment on this. My page just switched to French, which is fine. But uh, effectively, uh, Hydro-Québec <laughs> is uh, studying the possibility of reactivating a nuclear uh, reactor, um, Gentili-2. Um, uh, what have you heard? I mean, I'm like, okay, cool, good, go for it. Um, what is sort of the reaction amongst Quebecers to this? Is there an abstract opposition to nuclear power? But this is... Um... This is a bit brought uh, on the table since we changed the PDG of the uh, Hydro-Québec on the 1st of August. Now it's Michael Sabia that mm. is uh, the main person in charge. And he brought back this possibility to reactivate the Gentilly 2 that is a nuclear central in Quebec. By the way, we have five of them in Canada, three in Ontario. And I think we have one in... Um, I think it's, uh, uh, is it New Brunswick? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. Anyway, so we we already have that. But us, Gentile E2 was closed ten, about 10 years ago uh, after what happened in Japan with one of the nuclear central where, where now they still like clean the area and everything. And it was supposed to be closed forever. Uh, that's what Martin Ouellet, uh, who was the minister in charge at that time, say that she received as a, a mail from Hydro-Québec, that there was no possibility to reopen it. It was closed forever. But um, Martin Ouellet, that now she's the leader of um, Climat Québec, uh, it's a new party in, uh, in, uh, in Quebec, she's now really against the fact to reopen this opportunity to use the nuclear. But the thing mm. is, the nuclear is really clean, it's reliable, yeah. it's sustainable, 
And uh, of course, like if you don't use it properly and if like the central is not well built, it can have like some danger. But at the end of the day, we have the infrastructure, we have the, the technology to make it safer and to have like a clean energy. And, and I don't know why we didn't think about this before. And but I would say that with everything that happened, like in the history with the nuclear, I would say that a lot of people are afraid to use that source of energy. Yeah, well, in ma in many of those cases too, like for example, in Chernobyl, um, there was like the the, the amount of stuff, first of all, both, both, most of the reactors that have had catastrophic failures, even with natural disasters that shouldn't have, um, like in Japan, but they're from the 60s and 70s. They're very much archaic, Chernobyl particularly. Um, and there was also extreme questions about the competence of people running them. Now, I don't have too much faith in the competence of uh, the federal government, uh, which we'll talk about with some stories shortly. But um, mm -hmm. there there is, there is like, it, it's talking about like the early airplanes versus modern airliners, the safety metrics are non-comparable um, and then the capacity to shut down flood chambers and address meltdowns has infinitely improved so you're talking about very archaic technology that wasn't being monitored or cared for properly um, and this is the funny thing is environmentalists like it's like oh well we'll do hydro that's reliable and when i'm talking hydro as the rest of the country sort of talks about it not ontario and quebec but like a dam for electricity mm. um that's but oh no that's going to flood stuff so we don't that nuclear oh no chernobyl way back it's like the only actual effective means for safely and renewably generating power they're opposed to them um so it's like you, you can't win another catch 22 uh speaking of catch 22 and, yeah, and by, ahead, the, by the way i would trust more like a plane that is on nuclear energy that if yeah. it's a battery energy because i don't trust battery at all like especially when it's cold or in yeah. like harsh environment the battery have a tendency to lose like the power pretty quick so i would say um yeah i'm i'm way for the nuclear energy if i take a plane <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. So I, guys, I did want to just talk about something really quickly. We've got some crime stories coming up here very soon. But before we get to that, I'm just going to read a quick little uh, important message. And this is this is from one of our uh, very important uh, sponsors. But if you're having trouble accessing our content, um, if you're one of the people like me, who uh, has to use a VPN just to access my own Instagram account and sort of engage with news stories, well, uh, listen up closely here. Uh, we are facing an imminent threat, a planned blackout of all news content in Canada. It's coming to Facebook, Instagram, and threatening to silence rebel news and those who depend on us for the other side of the story. The cause? Trudeau's new censorship law, Bill C-18, which demands social media companies pay news outlets for the news stories their users share on the platform. It's a shakedown and a desperate attempt to keep the mainstream media afloat. It seems the billions in taxpayer subsidies just aren't enough to keep the country's propagandists in business. But Meta, Facebook's parents' company, has chosen to block Canadian news content rather than comply. Rebel News included. Many have already lost their ability to access our Facebook and Instagram pages. The blackout will soon affect every user in Canada. But fear not, we have a plan to protect your access to our news content. We've partnered with Private Internet Access, PIA, a VPN provider dedicated to safeguarding digital privacy. For just $2 a month, you can maintain your access to our content across all your devices. And unlike other VPN providers, PIA does not store any user data, and it's automatically deleted from the service to avoid leaks and government subpoenas for information. Their servers are located in all 50 states. 
not communist China. Visit piavpn.com slash rebel news and enjoy an exclusive 83% discount and four months free. Use it to bypass regional restrictions, stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world, and stick it to Trudeau's new censorship law. Safeguard freedom of speech and join us to combat Trudeau's censorship today at uh, piavpn, piavpn.com slash rebel news. And I'm very happy to personally endorse this product. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I've Mm -hmm. been using this specific Pia VPN for years, absolutely for years, because when I was looking into this, they do, they clear their servers just like that. There are some other places and some places have caved to government pressure where they'll hold on to some of the encrypted data. These guys burn it off as fast as they can. So within minutes, there's zero sort of record of that transcription. And it works so effectively. I've got a really easy app. I hit a button. Right now, if I go onto my Instagram and I'm not on a VPN, all of my news stories are gone. If I'm collaborating with Rebel News on a story, it's gone. I hit that VPN button just like that, an easy install in my app. I've got full access. I can operate things just like before. So it's great to be partnered with these guys. Get that great discount. You're not going to get a better price on a VPN. And, and, and they are very solid. So, yeah, strongly, I, happily endorsing them. I, I would say, like, it's pretty cheap for a VPN because I, I was like a – a big traveler and I was using mostly VPN when I was uh, away because sometimes I wanted to watch stuff that it was only mm-hmm. exclusive to US or Canada. So I think VPN is the future, especially with like the time that we live in, the censorship and everything. And we know that we are all for freedom, but I think now the future it's uh, the VPN will offer us the freedom that we we want. Yeah, for sure. And for folks out there, if you're a little bit older, maybe not too tech savvy, it is so easy. It's like a giant. In fact, I'll show you right now just how easy it is. I'll prove to you that I really have VPN. Um, you, you get an app just like that. I hope you can see that. Oh, no, it's too washed out. But you, you get an app. There's a giant there's a giant power button in the middle and you literally just press it and it goes green and you're on uh, VPN. Yeah. Just like that. It is so easy. Um, there's no real tech requirement. I know sometimes people hear VPN. It sounds complicated, scary. It's not whatsoever. And then you can pick which country it's routing through. Super easy. It's great. Um, yeah, but check it out if you, you get an opportunity there. Um, moving on, some some news stories, which you may only be able to access if you have uh, a VPN set up. Um, it's great. We just had the really strong uh, sort of column from Rick Bell uh, in the Calgary Sun on Dan Williams and his strong stance against the uh, the safe supply madness and how the government is not going to be giving people drugs, but instead they're going to be helping people recover. And now Alberta's top lawman vows a hardline crackdown in the war on crime. Mickey Emery, who is always available for interviews, he, he's he's happy to speak to us whenever, which is greatly uh, appreciated. Uh, UCP member in the legislature from East Calgary and now Alberta's justice minister says he will not back away from where he stands if and when naysayers slam his two uh, law and order uh, to Clint Eastwood to hard, I won't say it, approach. Uh, if you want to call me a hard Call me, a, says Amory. I'm, I'm, I'm censoring the word in case there's kids in the room for you guys, but uh, um, says Amory. Um, this sounds so much like what Dan Williams was saying, and I absolutely love it. My role is to protect law-abiding citizens, and that is exactly what I will do. There's no reason why I should shy away from this position. On this day, Amory reads the riot act to the baddest of bad actors, uh, the repeat violent offenders, the ones always hanging out on the criminal side of the street, uh, cr- creating fear and causing harm among law-abiding citizens and often treated with kid gloves by the courts 
who lost their way long ago. Hidden plain sight in his marching orders from the Premier is a job to set up a special prosecution to address deteriorating safety in Alberta's major urban centres. Criminal organisations and repeat offenders are simply put on notice. The position of the Alberta government is absolutely clear. There's no safe haven in Alberta for criminals. They are not welcome here. These criminals will be held accountable. It's incredible. I'm, I'm so happy to see this. You can read the article at length. Obviously, Rick Bell always great when he weighs in. I also spoke with Danielle Smith recently. If you hadn't, if you haven't checked out the interview, do we talked about human trafficking? She talks about sound of freedom. This government is also establishing a specific task force, and she flat out said that the, the federal government, the federal police, are not doing enough. So they're tackling human trafficking. They've invested $4 million. So we have a, a justice minister who's getting hard on crime. They're not going to have this perpetual cycle of repeat offenders. People are going to be punished. Law-abiding citizens will be protected. They're tackling human trafficking. And when I asked Daniel Smith if she has a message for folks, do check out this interview. It's pretty awesome. Uh, if she has a message for people in Alberta um, who are engaged in or benefiting from human trafficking, she just said point blank, not here. This is sanity in government that we haven't seen in so long whatsoever. Uh, how, how cowboy attitude is this for you, Alexa? But I would say that I find that pretty awesome, especially um, when I looked at its release in uh, Alberta and uh, you have like one of the best government, one of the best people in, in charge of the, that province. But if I will have heard this in Quebec, I will have been worried. Why? Um, first of all, because uh, in Quebec, we know that we have a political police. We know that the politics is really um, infiltrated, I would say, in the justice. It looked like sometime because if we heard like, oh, we'll put like more harsh to law abiding uh, citizen. But OK, but if and it, this is a part I was reading it's like for the the, the citizen who follow the rules uh, we would protect them but which kind of rules is it like the insanity rules that we saw during the pandemic period like because this right. time was like I'm afraid if you put more harsh measure against them for like unjustified rules that was not making any sense, that afraid me a little bit. It's why I say like yeah. in Quebec, if I will have heard that, I will have been worried for the future. But because I heard that from coming from Alberta, when they have a balance in the reflection, if the rules in, in place, it's justified. I, I see that Alberta is actually the future and it's actually the one of the most healthy places to live right now. Yeah. Well, and I, I think what you said there is so important and we have to keep it in mind as journalists. Um, I had no problem whatsoever. In fact, I was frankly probably a little bit excited when Jason Kenney united the UCP. I thought this was going to be a bright new era, but make no mistake, we don't see this with rose-colored glasses. If suddenly they turn these task forces into tools of political isolation or they're overreaching and they're, they're violating the rules, we're absolutely going to be there and we're going to hammer them just like we did the Kenny government because that's our job. But I mean, I think for now, at least, given that all of these people are available, they're willing to answer questions, the emphasis seems to be on getting drugs off the street, stopping human trafficking. Unlike the federal mm -hmm. government, where everything they seem to do is political control, this seems to be a f far more of a return towards sort of common sense law. So I think you're right there. But I, for folks out there, make no mistake, uh, we're not... Uh, if things turn here suddenly and these extra powers are being used for negative purposes, 
make no mistake, we're going to, we're going to call them out on it. And I do want to touch on something here. Obviously these, this court case proceeds, uh, some of the factors sort of rolling in here, um, precede some of the government changes that have occurred, the new cabinet and everything. But there's also a question of, will this actually be put into place? Because, um, Daniel Smith can say, oh, the wait times for getting blood drawn are too long, but what's going to be done about it? Daniel Smith can say, uh, we're going to fight human trafficking. We need to see this is Sonia. We need to see uh, actual results starting to unfold. And I can take what she says at face value because this is a new government. But we will at a certain point start demanding results and looking for outcomes. So so make no mistake. And one of the stories I want to touch on here, um, which is not a hard on crime response, in my opinion, I think it's a little problematic. Some of the details are unclear. But I do want to go through this article coming out of uh, Red Deer News now, uh, Pinoca County teen young adult now, they say teen, 18, I guess, uh, sentenced in church vandalisms. A young man from Pinoca County charged in relation to the vandalism of multiple central Alberta churches this year uh, has been given a two-year conditional sentence order, followed by six months of probation. Uh, Cameron Moses Wright, 18, was convicted on seven counts of mis mischief, damage under 5,000 in Stetler Courts on uh, a court of Justice on August 8, 2023, was also ordered to pay a total of $1,400 in surcharges due by January 31st, 2024. RCMP say it was February 13, 2023, when members from Bashaw Detachment received a report of St. Michael's Catholic and Hungarian Church that had been burnt down that evening. When RCMP arrived, it was a total loss. Now, I don't know if it seems like they're saying that he was also responsible for this fire, which would seem to me more than damage less than 5,000. So I'm, I'm trying to grasp this here, but make no mistake about it. There are seven counts of vandalism and potentially even one case of a church being burnt down associated with this individual. And he's been given a two-year conditional sentence order followed by six months of probation. Now, th these were all hate crimes directed against a faith community. That's in, that's wild. And if he literally burnt down a church, how this person has less than, I mean, maybe, maybe he was a minor at the time and there's some factors. But regardless, the fact that this is a two-year sentence for, if you vandalized a single mosque, I guarantee you'd be in jail. But you can burn oh. down potentially and, and destroy... Seven, vandalize seven churches and you get a tiny little pittance of a condition like this. I think this is insane. And I, I hope that there's some sort of oversight here, but there is the underlying issue, whether it be the courts, whether it be Alberta Health Services, whatever it is, there is this sort of under, underlying political wokeism that Daniel Smith is going to have to fight a lot to combat. D does this seem just nuts to you? Yes, because when we see, I, I have the impression that the woke the, actually doesn't like the Christian religion because it seems like if something happened, if it's Christian religion, oh, it's it's okay, it's not that bad, it's not like a big deal. But if that little uh, is a teenager, if he did that to LGBTQ community, I'm I'm thinking that we'll have like a way bigger harsh sentence than just two years. Yeah. I, I I think that it's just insane the double standard that we have today, because Canada have always been like Christian, like the first religion uh, to to be in in Canada, and it seems that now we just like forget that. This is our yeah. history. This is our background, and we should like same if you don't you don't you're not christian or you don't approve with that religion uh, that doesn't change the fact that this is our background it's our yeah. culture 
So we cannot just like pretend that it's just like nothing and we just like swap that by the hand and just make it, oh, okay, it's not a big deal, it's just like Christian. Yeah. Now, it'll be interesting to see, there is a note that the, another young offender uh, was charged in a string of incidents and faces uh, arson, mischief, break and enter charges. So potentially this person was kind of with them and not as involved. So the details aren't exactly clear, but this part kills me. At this time, there's no evidence to suggest that these crimes were politically or ideologically motivated. That's the stupidest sentiment I've ever heard. And I'm not surprised to see it from the RCMP. And it's a very strong argument in favor of a provincial police. They went around attacking a series of churches and burning them down at the same time that across the nation in response to the alleged residential school discoveries, people were burning down and vandalizing churches. If you don't get that this is politically motivated, resign from the police force immediately. <laughs> it's politically motivated, 100%. Oh, and it's an eight crime, as you say, like before, like, and yeah. that person is not reflecting correctly. Like, if it's just the church that had been targeted, of course it is like politic yeah. political like targeted. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild. I, I don't get it. Uh, another crime story here, and this was more so it's the end of this story. This next story is horrific. Um so uh, a man charged after four girls sexually assaulted at a water park. So we had uh, two 13-year-olds, a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old touched inappropriately oh. while swimming in the wave pool at West Edmonton Mall. So horrific. Uh, Sukjinder Singh, uh, 41 of Manitoba, has since been charged with four counts of sexual assault uh, and three counts of sexual interference. So hopefully there's some serious consequences for him. But... I want to go to the bottom of this story, and this line just kills me. What is going on at West Edmonton Mall? Singh is the fourth person to be charged in connection with sexual assaults at the Waterberg since June. So, like, a couple months. There's been four instances of sexual assault at this water park uh, since June. What, 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 I mean, I don't even know what there is to say, but I just think it's crazy that there, there's that many individuals going to one pool within a couple months and, and, and engaging in sexual assault. And in some of these cases, you're seeing multiple victims. I don't know. Maybe it's just an Edmonton thing. I don't know, man. What do you think? But after the first one, why they didn't block the entrance <laughs> to that person? Like, I'm sorry. Well, it's different people, though. <laughs> But yeah, you, oh. you think, yeah, different people. So this guy this time assaulted okay. four people, but there's also three other people in the last couple months who've sexually assaulted people. And there's no like, maybe we should hire some security guards and look for grown men <laughs> approaching children. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's something. It's a, it's a story. So West Ed, <sighs> smarten up. Keep the kids safe. No, but um, <laughs> it's always been like that. Like what we are waiting, the, I, we, I, it seems that we are waiting the worst for really like taking action against something like what yeah. what they are waiting for. Like it's always been like that. Like we we wait that someone being killed somewhere or being raped like somewhere for like taking like action. There yeah. has been sexual assault in that yeah. pool. Well, take action. It's almost like there's like no, there's nothing political to be gained from going after West Ed. If there's a cover up and some controversy at the Calgary Stampede, liberals will weigh in and roast the Stampede because it's not in line with their values. But hey, it's just a water park. What are you going to do? Hey, I'll tell you what you can do. Um, hire some security guards. Keep kids safe. That's about it. Um, we're, we're way overdue for an ad break. Let's jump to an ad break and then we're going to come back and rip through some more stories. 
How in the world could such a small group of people with limited resources change world history? But in fact, that's happening. And it's the power of the truth. The truth is like kryptonite. Healthcare isn't in some sense working very well. Foster Colson is thinking about this. He's got a new company, an online healthcare platform called The Wellness Company. Telehealth company called The Wellness Company. The Wellness Company. The most popular product is the detoxification supplement that features natokinase. Natokinase is the only enzyme that we're aware of right now that dissolves the spike protein. Spike protein is loaded in the body with the COVID-19 infection and definitely with the vaccines. We've been completely accurate on the spread of the virus, early treatment, on the deficiencies in hospital care, and now the deaths that are occurring after vaccination. This is a human outrage and it's occurring at the end of a hypodermic needle. Isn't it interesting? Natural substances combating this man-made disaster. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I actually just had the opportunity to talk to a local naturopath and I was asking about some of those products as well. Um, and they sort of were very mentioned as a naturopath I respect very well. I'm um, very much in line and, and supporting the ingredients being used in the research behind it. So that was good. After after we talked about it last week, I wanted to go ask some folks about it. So a uh, great work by those folks, uh, that group of uh, folks is a bunch of doctors who sort of spoke out against COVID-19 and lockdowns restrictions and then formed this group trying to help people get back to that as they say pre-COVID pre-COVID-19 feeling. Um, Alexa the next story I'm going to let you sort of take the lead on this because you've been covering this so you might even have a video to throw to but uh, effectively a drag a Quebec drag queen sparks controversy. Um, t tell us about this story. Um, I would prefer that people watch the clip because uh, afterwards people will more understand what I'm talking about. Perfect. If, uh, and the clip is just down in. for our studio folks. The, the clip is just down on the page. If you scroll down, the tweet is right there and the video is available. So, yeah, I think we got it ready to roll there. I think we'll need to disappear for the subtitle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's in French. So there we go. Les drags, on va voir les jeunes pour les rendre gays, pour les avoir. Mais là, le monde qui écrit ça, va voir le Facebook, il est lettre comme un asti de cul-de-singe. Tu vas voir, sa blonde est dégueulasse, pas une dada gueule. On le veut pas dans notre gang, votre asti jeune, là. Gardez-les, calis, il changera nos venues jusqu'à Nadienne Tailleur, Chris de plaît. Asti que j'ai Chris que j'ai Tabarnak de mal de tête. Non, le monde, ils, oh oui. ils ont du lousse dans la tête un peu. Puis je pense quand ils pongent des dos down, le cerveau cogne. Puis là, ils, ils s'ouvrent un Facebook, puis ils donnent leur opinion de ce petit arriéré de Chris. Là. Ben oui. J'ai tué à grand coup d'âge, Ils sont fâchants. Ils sont fâchants. Chris, là, les gars, un viol, ils ont jamais tué personne. Là. <rire> Non, mais à un moment donné, excusez, c'est à faire, c'est assez. Ah, ça va être bon, cet épisode-là, pour aider le monde qui pense que les drags, c'est des pédophiles, là, c'est-tu? Ouais. Calice! Yes, on va les avoir, bonne fierté, dans leur Il n'y en a pas assez des petits drags à l'école. Il n'y en ouais. a pas assez. Ça va de mieux en mieux. Puis éventuellement, on va réussir notre but qui est de rendre tous les enfants transgenres. Oh, non, non. <rire> ben oui. On ouais. est après vous avoir, mes ouais. hosties. Ouais. Ben oui. <rire> <rire>
En passant, on voit ton cul encore. Je vais l'assumer, ça va être ça, tabarnak. Reste-toi là, il y a ce petit pervers. Ça finit à quelle heure ici? On va t'amener, là. Si t'as à ce point-là le goût d'avoir des gosses dans le front, on va t'arranger ça, mec. On va tout t'arranger ça. Non, il y a des isoloirs. Je suis allé, Chris, 4-5 fois dans ma vie au danseur, gros max. Mais euh, c'est ça, il y a des isoloirs, puis c'est pas, pas propre, là, ah, ce qui se passe. Ah non? Comme qui rêve, s'il te plaît, là. Euh... Yeah, it's something, it's something to hurt. Like, but, like, first of all, I will put you in context. Uh, Mike Ward, uh, some people know him, maybe not, uh, is a comedian uh, at home, is known for the, is humor really controversy. Um, it was involved also in a big Sega legal battle in front of the judge because he did um, uh, do some harsh joke on a disabled young man. Um, anyway, the thing is, his podcast is called Suzy Kut. He usually receives some people over like in front of some drinks, alcoholic, alcoholic drinks. And now he did receive the drag queen Mona de Grenoble and also um, Sébastien Dubé, that is one of the members of the Denis Drolet. It's like a team of humorists, um, comedian. I think you'd say more like in English, we say humorists us for like uh, people yeah. who perform for humor on the scene. So you will see like the the, the video it's the 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 it's I've, I've been cut like it's it's an hour long podcast so yeah. um and some of part of the video have been changed of places but i watched the podcast and the meaning didn't go away so what yeah. i was saying it's um the drag queen was talking about the fact and mark ward asked Did you receive a lot of backlash after your show because it was involved in Big Brother in Quebec? And it started afterwards to talk about the people who actually believe that the drag queen wants to indoctrinate children and, and make them like transitioning or stuff like that. And they say like, oh, you know, these people cannot write correctly and propagate like this kind of uh, false information. They open Facebook to say their really like backyard like uh, um, opinion. I can kill them with a big hacks. And at one point I was like, okay, a part of what he was saying, it's opinion. And a part mm -hmm. of what he, he, he wanted to mix his own opinion with some humor. I'm sorry, you cannot do that in a society with uh, really ra radicalized opinion, with polarized people. You cannot do joke that you target a specific group of people. You can mm. target this group of people, the people who are against drag queen in school, who are against drag queen to indoctrinate children. This is a group of people that is identifiable. Yeah. And this in the law, it's a crime yeah. to say out loud in front of people to kill a group of identifiable people. Yeah. Well, and you know, the thing, the issue here for me is like, I, I am 
an ardent defender of comedy. I think people should be able to say the most horrific things on earth. Um, I'm going to see Anthony Jusselnik next week, and he has the most brutal comedy. So I'm in favor of saying anything. But the issue is this was not in the context of a joke talking about killing people. He's They're just asking him his opinion. And he said, these people are all so stupid, and I want to kill them with a big axe. That, that There's no joke there. He's just saying he wants to kill people uh, with an axe. The other thing, too, is, I mean, I don't know. This is this is vulgar. It's not funny. And, and it, it, ver- it goes a long way to proving a point Um Drag is subversive and disrespectful, intentionally so. Not like disrespectful towards people, but it's it's intentionally subversive of gender roles. And the comedy that it engages in, while it's generally pretty lowbrow, it's subversive and it's not intended for children on a fundamental level. Um, the other thing, too, is, I mean, if, if people are continuously going and seeking access to children in order to pass something along, um, you don't need to be dressed in drag to read a story to a child. Uh, at mm-hmm. a library, for example, if you're going dressed in drag, it's to promote that in some way, shape or form. Um, and you're promoting something that is inherently subversive and not appropriate for children. Um, the, just the the aesthetic alone of lots of drag queens is not appropriate for children. It's confusing and subversive and not age appropriate, plain and simple. So I'm all for comedy. I'm all for it being free. I'm all for it being uncensored. But this this is this is not comedy. This is just someone uh, espousing hatred. And one of, and I, I just posted in the, the thread, uh, this is one of comedian at home and his wife posted this uh, post on social media. His son is, is it's like, I can show it like his first show of drag queen for Billy uh, at the um, Pride. His dad is uh, went to buy him some fake uh, eyelash, and and this is actually their son, and they are actually p- pushing and promoting the fact that his son now is doing some drag queen show, and and I would say they are supposed to be. They are comedian. They have an impact on the society, and yeah. and I think this is like what. What do you think about that? Like a comedian just show like his son, like completely like, yeah, like a, yeah, a girl and going to do some some well, some drag queen show. And it's 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 one hundred percent parents pushing this on their kids. And then it's also to score points. It's, it's like whether it's Trudeau rolling out his kids in a movie or these folks rolling out their kids. Listen, like if you look at the statistics uh, of kids who are allegedly, whether it be trans or whatever, maybe don't don't get me wrong. I don't espouse any of that. But if you were to believe the mainstream statistics, the fact that these people who are progressives and pushing this stuff, it's always their kids who end up being trans or gender dysmorphic or whatever you want to call it. There's something going on there. It's clearly, it's not the bio, the odds are that biologically that's not happening. Um, So there's clearly something sort of social that is happening that is guiding kids down this path. Um, When every time these kids, like the the amount of times that there's people within the LGBTQ and both of their kids are also uh, identifying as part of that group, statistically, that is not likely to occur. In fact, statistically, it's borderline impossible that, uh, that that occurs. So clearly, there's social pressures here. And it's sad to see 
Uh, in some of these cases, I'd suggest a lot of these cases, parents confusing their children to score points with their friends. Parents are supposed to be protecting their kids, allowing their kids to develop naturally, not exposing them to inappropriate content. So yeah, I mean, I, 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 would, I shelter my kids from some of the comedy that I very much enjoy because it would be insane to expose kids to that. Now, the, these people would these people would insert their child into the butt of a brutal joke in order to gain notoriety within those circles. It's wild. Um, but yeah, you know what? Part of it is, though, these people, uh, like, for example, the, these comedians, uh, this, this uh, drag queen, um, they're intentionally garnering they don't have talent they're not funny they're not witty um so they're intentionally garnering controversy because that's the only way anyone can look at them and within the drag world it's about being the most absurd sometimes just people who are talented and do something exceptionally well make no mistake but generally it's about being the most absurd uh, the loudest and having the most people look at you is is the is the core of what's happening there and i suspect that's the case here um we have and by a, the way I have you observed that now the narrative is changed before it was like everything needs to be vaxxed and now it's like any everybody needs to love drag queen and everybody needs to follow that narrative or if you don't do that you are a part of another second class citizen that yeah. we don't really respect because yeah. you're weird and uh, you are homophobic, you are transphobic and you are like against the community. And that yeah. is untrue. Yeah. Well, and they're, they're fake distractions. If you talk to people, it doesn't matter if someone's from the gay community, the straight community, a liberal, an oil worker. Everyone right now is like, man, life's unaffordable. That's what real people are talking about. But the, the government is continually pushing, oh, now it's this COVID stuff. Oh, now it's this uh, environmental stuff. Oh, now it's this pride stuff. There's perpetual distractions from the actual core issues. Uh, it's surreal. Let's jump to this video. We've got lots of stories to get through and we're starting to run tight on time. Um, uh, James O'Keefe, uh, we've got a video, I believe, from James O'Keefe on Twitter. If we've got that ready to roll. I'm James O'Keefe with OMG standing outside Best Buy this week on August 8th. O'Keefe Media Group OMG released a story featuring a whistleblower from inside Best Buy that released screenshots of a training program, a management training program with McKinsey and Company where it explicitly excludes white applicants. The program's racial requirements have led to an accusations of racial discrimination, a firestorm online. The CEO of Best Buy, Corey Berry, has now made her Twitter account private. Now, a second whistleblower has come forward exclusively to OMG with audio recordings of his manager, Mike Hirsch, at a Best Buy in Jacksonville, Florida, stating that LGBTQ flags were appropriate in the Geek Squad office, but Christian crosses were not. This has led to further allegations of religious discrimination. If we're doing all that gay pride uh, flags and all that transgender stuff, like why don't we have Christian stuff all over? They're not the same. How is that not the same? You can 1,000% choose religion. So it's not a belief listen, though. That's almost, that's a, that's a, listen, cult, that's a cultural. Yeah, but me as a cultural entity, having beliefs that I have, so right. why can't I put my stuff all over the because wall? you are choosing to cho to believe in Christianity or Muslim or okay. whatever, you choose well, that. someone is choosing to be gay they or lesbian, gay. hey, they're choosing that. Enes Sujak, a Serbian immigrant and Best Buy employee in Jacksonville, Florida, recorded the conversation with his manager, Mike Hirsch. I spoke with Enes about his situation. He's decided to go public. Very brave, very courageous individual. Here's some of that interaction. That is our manager. His name is uh, Mike Hirsch. 
Um, but he he and I had a very long conversation. It, it was like an hour and 30 minutes of he and I just going back and forth with him uh, telling me that uh, it was work appropriate to have all this uh, LGBTQ stuff that's uh, going on in the office and everywhere else. But it's not OK for me to, you know, be a Christian myself and have a, a Bible uh, right over there that's uh, right there at the office or have a cross or a Quran or anything like that. that that's not work appropriate. But, you know, having that LGBTQ pride flag everywhere else, uh, that is work appropriate. And I wasn't standing for that. Are you calling the police? I am, actually. You're calling you're calling the police. So the amount of times we, we talk about how we're trying to, as a society, counteract racism, and that's all great. But the, the, don't get me wrong, there has been racism. There probably still is racism, certainly. Um, but the problem is, is, is it was largely amongst individuals, or at least it was unspoken. The new efforts to sort of counteract racism are overtly racist in writing. They're, they're literally like in paper saying exclude white people, um, that is the most racist, overt form of racism you could possibly imagine. And then saying like, uh, well, you can't have political stuff in the office, you can't have religious stuff in the office, but there's one special class of elite political activism, and that's pride stuff, that's exclusively uh, allowed. This is wild. You know what, I mean, have a policy. If If you're not allowing religious or political symbols in the office, don't. Um, if you do, you can't say, oh, this this cause is okay, that's okay. And the other thing there is the core of this is that these people fundamentally do not understand religion. They just think it's an arbitrary choice, like what sort of meal you're going to have. Um, for people, whether they're Christian, Sikh, Muslim, Jewish, um, people who are devoutly practicing, that is as much a part of their personality as their sexuality. But we've heralded sexuality as this end-all and be-all in society. And then your, your convictions by which you live your whole life, for many, even their sexual identity is formed by their religious convictions. So you can't have one thing up on a pedestal and another thing torn down. And if you are going to allow something to be protected, it should be the thing that has been and conventionally uh, has been protected and upheld. It'd be conventional to see a crucifix in every school, every workplace, all that throughout much of American history. This new flash in the pan of that being removed and these other symbols being inserted, it's the anomaly. It's the exception to the rule. But me, three things came to my mind when I look at that video. First of all, I was not really surprised that McKinsey was behind the um, the criteria of uh, employment. And uh, the second thing is like, if they didn't talk as a whistleblower, we will never have known about it. So uh, at all many other places at work, people are facing this, who are censoring themselves for not being canceled by their uh, like their co-worker or by their boss. So if you are a whistleblower, if you, you, you experience the same thing and you want to be a whistleblower, we keep your confidentiality. You can write to us at tips at rebelnews.com or you can write to me at alexandra at rebelnews.com. And the third thing who came to my 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 
my mind because it is kind of trigger me. It's when the the men say, "Oh, but they choose to be lesbian or gay." Now it's what the society have come to their mind. But the real gay and lesbian, they do not choose that. It's now because now it's a trend that people are reinventing themselves that are are now choosing to be whatever they want and identify themselves as okay, I'm a lesbian now, so I'm experimenting with girls that now this is not being real, real, like grounded um, being in the community. It's just because you want to be in an um, identity group and you try and you, you decide yourself to be. And it's really like unfortunate and really sad to see that people are starting to think that way because I know a lot of people in the community and they did not choose to to be gay or lesbian, you know? Right, right, yeah. No, I think that probably when you're looking through that, most people that probably stood out as, well, I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, but but the point is, 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 is people are born into their, their faith backgrounds and it, it's very much as much a part of their identity as anything else. But I mean, it is, it is, it does have to kind of go both ways. You can't just have one and not the other. And then you look at the, the rest of this is the ideology behind this, putting it aside at face, face value is it's very like anti-traditional religion. And it's, it's overtly saying that they don't want white people, which which is the sort of core and concerning uh, part of this. Very, very troubling indeed. Um, in order to ensure that we get through everything, we've just got a couple minutes left here. We're going to fly through a couple stories. Um, lobbyists flock to Stampede. Uh, very funny to see. Um, there was a fundraiser event, uh, Black Locks reports, and apparently of the 96 liberal donors that attended this event, uh, fewer than 43, fewer than half were from Calgary. So all of them are coming out uh, from other provinces in order to attend this event. So uh, the the polling, while Trudeau's less and less popular across the country, um, certainly far from popular here within this province, uh, to say the very, very least. Um, we also have this story here, um, uh, for, former Snowbirds Sea King pilot forced out of CAF for going maskless during uh, COVID-19. Um, uh, what offense did uh, Postma who flew seeking helicopters a decade ago? Um, uh, goes through some of the details of some of his sort of uh, uh, accomplishments. Um, what did he do to deserve such shabby treatment? He refused to wear a mask during the Canadian Armed Forces mandate crackdown. Um, so, and it's not that he overtly sort of politically refused to wear them from what I understand. It's that the masks weren't required in the classrooms but they were required um, to be utilized through the hallways. And there was some confusion. Apparently, I mean, we, we all know this during COVID, um, it was the slightest irrational offenses that, that were that were met with those the strictest punishments it would seem um, so yeah it's it's troubling to see someone who served the country as a snowbird sort of a Canadian hero um, subject to these uh, reinforcements and restrictions um, oh, I, we saw so many cases like this though where someone didn't have their mask up the right way or they their mask fell off or their mask was on the ground and it was dirty and they didn't have another mask um, and the, the government just went after these people time and time again didn't they and it's sad because when we look at, I interview also like Dallas Alexander Flammer, that he was a sniper, uh, elite a sniper, and um, it was medically released because uh, he chose to not get the shot. But he was explaining that no doctor was able to 
prove him with like all the damage that he had like before. He had like a couple of caution um, and it, um, it, nobody was able to tell him that it was safe. It was safe for him to do it. The only thing yeah. that they were providing yeah. to him is like it's safe and effective. You need to take it. And at one point it was like, but you didn't prove me scientifically that it would not have any repercussion with everything that I suffer in the past. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's the amount of people, there's so many stories. I mean, a, a recent court ruling, and we're going to talk about another court ruling here in a minute did determine that some of those restrictions were sort of unconstitutional, um, but veterans, whether it's this government, not giving them enough saying you're just asking for too much in Trudeau or what happened throughout COVID-19 or some of the tweets from politicians saying, Oh, what we did to veterans throughout this and to, to the military with vaccines, it was good. And it made the military better. It's madness. Um, and completely disjointed from reality. Speaking of disjointed, uh, from reality, Canada's top court refuses appeal from BC churches protesting COVID-19 restrictions. An interesting juxtaposition, considering we just had the Ingram ruling, uh, which I spoke to John Carpe and Eva Chepiak about, um, where they've effectively deemed because the government overstepped um, and violated the Public Health Act that all of Dina Hinshaw's uh, public health orders were basically illegal. Um, we're wondering how that would affect other provinces uh, and, and especially uh, top courts within the country, um, and not great news. Uh, Canada's highest court will now not hear an appeal that uh, challenged limits on religious gatherings during COVID-19 pandemic, marking a significant endorsement for British Columbia's provincial health, health officer and the end of the legal road for the faith leaders involved. The Supreme Court of Canada refused to hear the case from churches in BC's Fraser Valley that argued that public health rules violated their charter rights by banning indoor religious services during the height of the pandemic. We are disappointed that the Supreme Court has declined our application for leave to appeal this matter. I read a statement from Marty Moore with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Um, you know, the, this is clear, just, just no questions asked, politicalization of the courts. Um, this is one of the most necessary and fundamental discussions that has to happen post-COVID-19 restrictions. And it, it is paramount for these courts to address these types of cases, because if they don't, we talk about truth and reconciliation on other issues, the, the hurt and the harm that occurred, they don't get to simply walk away from that and say, we're not going to hear these cases, though apparently that is what they're doing. Um, there needs to be sort of uh, uh, ramifications, rectifications and corrections as a consequence of this massive overreach, the court refusing to hear this is, is clearly and overtly political. They have to hear it. They can make a ruling saying under the circumstances it was allowed, which I wouldn't agree with, but the fact that they're not even willing to hear this critical argument about religious freedoms and how they're trampled on, uh, it says more than any ruling could, the fact that they're not willing to engage in this conversation. And it's frightening to see like that either the Superior Court or Federal Court wants to hear simple like um, case like this, this case of the churches of, of the overreach, what happened to them, but also with the organ transplant when uh, they face refusal over the COVID-19 vaccine. This just prove that the, the Supreme Court and the federal court are don't, do not want to engage anything that go against the COVID-19 policy that the government have put in place. And but the thing is, 
it's supposed to be really healthy in a democracy to actually do a overlook of if it was not over abuses over over like yeah. this yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, especially given that you you do have a it's non-binding because it's not in the same province, but you do just have a recent court ruling that ruled sort of in favor of these critiques, not necessarily on the constitutional grounds, but in, in terms of a public health act breach. But you just had a case rule against something similar and then you're not even w really willing to hear it. It's a negligent decision, not surprising to hear from uh from anyone involved in this federal government and some of the rulings we saw from court. So uh, sad to see that that's hit the end of the road. Our final story for the day, uh, more than 800 items missing from the Canadian Museum of History. And if you guess that this organization is run uh, at least in part by the government, you'd be completely right. Imagine anywhere else other than a government institution <laughs> losing 800 items from a museum. Uh, more than 800 items could be lost to historical memory after an audit of the Canadian Museum of history found the inventory missing and the corporation with no plans to deal with the issue this is the same thing as like the billions of dollars missing in infrastructure they're like eh they're just priceless artifacts they're gone it's fine um the office of the auditor general of canada produced the report which was published on thursday that examined how the museum carried out its management practices and managed its operations among the issues the audit found that what was called a significant deficiency no kidding um, mass theft is another word for that, I think. In the museum's conservation practices resulting in the exposure of its collection to various risks, including no robust inventory management systems. Uh, so more than 800 items went missing from a museum, a place that's like job is to preserve items between 2012 and 2022. So we're not talking about like a 500 year old European uh, institution losing 800 items over its total history. We're talking about 10 years under this uh, under this federal government. This is wild. Um, uh, in addition, so beyond these 800 items, 300 items in the museum were not properly stored. Um, and there are thousands more that had no source information. It sounds like a cluttered uh, junkyard alley um, to the tune of more than 15,000 items that they really don't have much record on. Um, weirdly, though, later on, and once they go past this, they're like, it's all negative, though. Uh, the museum honored, they, they said that they had good practices for corporate governments strategic planning and risk management so the government can't help like how do they have good practices for strategic planning and risk management when they're losing or undocumenting or having damage to fifteen thousand items um it's wild they have to pat their executives who are getting bonuses on the back the people who make the policies that led to this madness they're not so bad it's just we're losing everything and the museum's falling apart and the minister in charge was Pablo Rodriguez. I have a hard time to say his name. Yeah. Pablo Rodriguez, and uh, he wanted also like to be uh, to turn the museum more woke with like inclusivity, diversity, and including also climate change. So mm -hmm. you see, like he's not even capable to protect the the item in the museum. <laughs> Well, whether it's not being able to keep track of their their exhibits or erasing uh, erasing Canadian history, they they seem that this government is hell bent on just destroying Canadian history, both literally in this case and figure, figuratively, as far as woke ideologies. That's our show for the day. We do have a couple uh, rumble rants and chats here, so we'll go through those. Um, first off, this isn't a uh, this isn't a, a paid chat, but I'm going to read it anyways. Alexa's English is amazing these days. I agree, you're killing it. 
Sherry Sharon Donner, 78, gives $1. Wouldn't doubt that Best Buy hired Kiki Obe Thompson's firm, Kojo Institute, diversity consultant, entirely possible. Ableist SL gives $5. Biden administration forced to, uh, forced to back off in Vermectin. Trump should just appoint a bench warmers for government positions next time. And then there's an article linked here. Uh, that is our show for the day. Alex, any final words for the folks out there? But thank you, everybody, who actually donate in the paycheck. Thank you for saying that my English getting better. I'm actually doing like my best as I can every day. And uh, but thank you for tuning in. Thank you for Efron and Olivia and all the people on the back that did make possible to do the show. Uh, they are hard worker. It's just because we don't see them in front of the camera. But don't forget, there is way more people working on this live stream. Thank you, Adams. It's always a pleasure. We don't see each other often. And by the way, me and Adam, we are the one who can speak French. So next time it will be in French. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> thank you. Uh, and it's always a pleasure to uh, do a live stream with you, Adam. Awesome. Thanks so much. You as well. And for everyone at home, I want to thank you all for tuning in. For Rebel News, I'm Adam Sos. David Menzies for Rebel News here in Windsor, Ontario. And you know what, folks? We are in the dog days of summer. But we are on the prowl for a cat, namely a trans cat. Yes, you heard me correctly. A trans cat is walking the streets of downtown Windsor, hence the need for my safari suit. We are talking about an individual. His real name is Cody Detremont. And then he changed his name because he was suddenly identifying as a woman, Desiree Anderson, by the way, check out the picture of Cody Detriment slash Desiree Anderson. Um, yeah, that looks pretty feminine to me, doesn't it? Here's the thing. He was admitted to this woman's shelter several months ago. And shockers, what happened? Within a few days, he started to sexually assault a resident, in fact, Windsor police charged him with that.